Welcome to episode eight of the Sprint Podcast. Um, so thanks again for everyone that's tuned in over the last few weeks to and giving your thoughts and uh, our coverage of the chosen and one double R season. We're actually um, halfway through the season now uh, at this stage. Uh, Cropless was round seven, so we're moving on to the safari for round eight. So um, actually flying through, which is the, the time is flying with them, but uh, we're enjoying it and hopefully you're enjoying it as well. So. Uh, Tommy Hayes and William Nolan are back with us again this week. Well, how are things? Good to be back again this week, Les. How are things, yeah? The weeks are flying. The weeks are flying for the ones you turn up for, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> look, I'm getting consistent. I'm getting there. Yeah, yeah. I fully expect some lame excuse next week again. Also, William's broadband is acting up as well, so um, don't be, if, he, if there's a like, gigantic leg or any kind of Chernobyl radiation type noises, um, don't 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 panic. It's just it's it's probably Will's connection. It's also responsible for any it's also responsible for any crap points or anything I might make in the podcast. That people don't no, they're your own fault. They're your own responsibility. I, I don't so. care. I, uh, You've lagged like an early nineties group anchor. <laughs> oh, that's oh, that's laggy. Whoa. Um, you don't the normal. Like Toyota Turbo before the lads got at it with the spanner. No, they were <laughs> no man. I I actually they are recently. Uh, there was a testing video of the ST205 before it was debuted. Um, I think it was in Finland, back to back with the 185, and I think just canking and driving it. And man, if you hear this thing, holy shit, it's so sharp. Um, I like they say that the 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 torbushing and against weren't happening till '95, but honest to God, you you listen to this video, and uh, the sound of it, this video, and you tell me this thing is is not running. Over 400 horsepower, and I, I swear to God, it's but they were running crazy. bigger turbo restrictors at that stage as well because the 34 mil restrictor came in in '95. I think yeah. they were on were they on 36 or 38? I think was, was, it? was it. I'm not sure. No, we'd have to check that out. Um, yeah. it definitely it definitely seems crazy quick anyway, you know, and, and just sounded so sharp and you know the anti leg and everything just the door sleek is like you know especially the 185 um if they passed you on a stage uh you could feel the 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 bang um nearly up through your feet with the with the with the, the anti leg they were running running him so so hot but um that's just the way I suppose they were mapped as well back then it was super inefficient like I'd, I'd hate to see I'd hate to try and keep um uh kind of a fuel this was uh, a strategy for for one of those. that would say they'd be they'd be and through it at a serious rate. You'd wonder what stage mode would be, how many liters to the kilometer you'd be going. Because I know that on the calculations I have for a Group M car or Class Twenty or World car, it's down as being three quarters of a liter to the kilometer on full chat. Holy fuck! That's Good uh, man. Yeah, it's a that's a, and and at the fair, the expensive stuff as well. The the high octane stuff, uh, not a, not a cheap endeavor, but anyway, uh, yeah. So as I said, we're we're at the safari um, this week. So it's kind of not much other pen and news in the last few days. We're actually recording this only a couple of days after we recorded the Acropolis episode, and um, so we haven't had time to, you know, this was get through all the fan mail. 
all the fan mail. Uh, actually, yeah. yeah. The, the yeah. solicitors are going through that, aren't they? Yeah. It's filtered. Yeah, it's filtered. No, let's give one shout out. One must give actually is is to uh, Trevor Agnew. He uh, got onto us there uh, the last couple of days just to just say he was enjoying the podcast. So. Um, and we'll definitely get him on there in the near future. Uh, Trevor was a guy who was obviously heavily involved in the sport at the time. Uh, he was co-driving for Neil Weirden um, and uh, the, the, the Griffone 206 um, during the 2001 season. They, they did a number of world rounds, so we, we'll definitely get him on there in the, over the next couple of episodes and just get him to, to talk us through their experiences. So. Yeah, Trevor lived my te- Trevor lived out my teenage dream. Kit car followed by World Championship in a two oh six. So yeah, it's pretty. pretty I don't. Pretty I don't know. I don't know. Do I want to talk to him? Because I'd be just yeah, too. Yeah, I was thinking we'd, we'd want to shape up with it. If if we're being graced with, with Trevor's presence, we'd want to you know, shape up with it. Yeah, we have to cut cut the swearing anyway for a start. Um, <laughs> and what else? What else do we have to do? Uh, maybe you start your broad and then turn up. You know, every week. Yeah. If you if you could, if it wouldn't be too much trouble, it'd be great. Or yeah, or just or if we all just if we all try to have just so a somewhat reputable source of motorsport news that isn't twenty years in the past. No, 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 um, no, no. no. And, uh, and, and maybe if we actually had some worthy credentials in the sport. Yeah, I have a, co- I have a copy Tommy of motorsport news. I have a copy of motorsport news here that's from two thousand and four. So now, if that isn't up to date, I don't know what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm happy. I'm happy. In, in I'm the, still the looking for. I, I'm still looking for rally cars in the buying cell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's impossible yeah. to find at the lockdown. The, yeah. the yellow has faded to white in that buying cell now. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. Well, like I, I said, what I find funny about that is the first, the first. I think I said on one of the other episodes, my first shell with my first rally car was actually bought out of the buying cell. Go ahead. I, I remember finding it circling in the house inside and working like part time job to pay for it. I saw it and I was like, nice one, 900, 900 euros. And I was like, that's it, I'm buying that. No 900 euros for a shell? Was there a cage? I know, it was, it was a rolling shell. Like, it was rolling shell, yeah, yeah. Jeez, that's fairly, that was a, that was a, a nice little find. I'm actually, I'm, do you know, I, I was hoping when we started the podcast that um, the lockdown would ease a bit sooner than it is. Obviously, it's it's there for 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 genuine reasons and whatever, and we'll, we'll continue to, to stick to it and whatever. Um, I still can't access my stash of Rally XS at home, which would be kind of invaluable reading material now when it comes to this stuff. I've seen, like, I was nearly tempted to, to get the parents to, to start posting them down at this stage. I was getting so bad. But um, I, um, as you see in the Gravel Crew Facebook page during the weekend, Martin Brady put up a couple of posts about um, the Finnish rallying songs. Uh, there was, I can't think of his name, the guy that was making them, but there was some crazy um dude in finland was was making pop songs based on the exploits of their motorsport heroes so you had one for tommy mackinan one for mika hackinan and one for for grand home i mean, do you know what i'm actually going to dig one out there now and just give some give you a snippet you know of what you do, Mark? yeah i was going to say is this the guy that made the song about uh tommy mackinan being the king of the rally road it's yeah. something that, that, that something is him, like yeah. That. I'm, yeah i'm not gonna lie i love that song I think it's unbelievable. Have you heard we, the song? Yeah. I, do you want to play it or will I pull it up and play it? We can play it. Out, play it? We, 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 we might play it out in, in the show. Maybe so. Yeah. yeah. I just got look. We we'll give you we'll give you a snippet of just the, the first the, the, the first uh, verse of of the Tommy Mackinnon song. So here it is now. 
Gravel road is dusty and the engine sings. Here comes the man from Popola, one of the flying fins. Rally people make noise with heavy feelings. I'm not sure if the feelings is meant to kind of rhyme. Man, he's, in he's a lyrical genius. But how it's trans it's rhyming it's rhyming in English despite being translated from Finnish. I'm go, I'm gonna go on. Do you know what? We'll 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 keep. You it know what? Apex Twin or Massive Attack could have made that brilliant. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you if you you know just lay underneath it with a bit of trip hop. That would yeah, you know what it is, Tommy? If you listen to the lyrics, like he's Finland's answer to William Wordsworth. William's yeah. William Wordsworth is what we call him. Yeah. I got we're getting he's ragging on Carlos Sainz here. In the Rocky Road <laughs> rattles Carlos Sainz, which is kind of after considering what was happening in his engine just season. Anyway, <laughs> and the wheels are ketchup. His the name is Heinz. And Hola, Hola hardly helps this. Was that's a misprint? I'm not sure. To be to be fair, right? If we're going ragging on the Finns, you know, making dodgy songs about you know their rallying culture, there are several musical atrocities dedicated to Irish rallying. Yeah, we're in no position to no position to fire that bullet. We're in no position to be you know rounding up the artillery on the Finns on this one. We are in the glass house. We are in the glass house, and the glass is literally. Only Brittle. a couple of microns thick. It's you know we're 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 in serious trouble here. It's barely even glass. So yeah, we better we better quit with our head actually. Will we? Yeah. Uh, and and I don't I, I don't know about playing it. We're already sketchy enough playing the WRC team tune as the intro. I don't know how we're getting away with that. Yeah, but if we, we start throwing, we'll, we'll, we'll say no. We'll move away from all the songs. We'll just. It could know. be like could be like it could be like Lynn Hoogan. You know, it could be a terrible story about that. Lynn Hoogan and the Hoogan knots. Lynn Hoogan and the Hooganuts. No, yeah, look, yeah. what I was going to say is we'll draw the line under the music and we'll just stay with her, Johnny. Let's not draw attention to it. Yeah, I don't want to get yeah. a copyright strike from Mika Sunk Mika Sunkfist um, for 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 the songs he was making twenty years ago. But you know, it's kind of cool in a way as well. It's very of its time. It and it's I like show. Yeah. Look, if someone go on and just listen to the Tommy Mac and one. It's a good laugh. It will get you in a good mood. Will it? Yeah. yeah. Jesus. Yeah, it, takes lot, it takes a lot to get me in a good mood and that gets me in a good mood. Okay. All right. Okay. It's just so bad, it's brilliant. It comes okay, it comes with the William Nolan stamp of approval. Yeah, the Bozak for the ears. <laughs> yeah. Um just while we're while we're while we're um in the the I suppose the vein of talking utter shite as opposed to the you know usual level of shite that we that we gonna go on with our sponsor for this week. Um it's 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 related to a previous sponsor that never delivered the goods. So we, because of Uruguayan uh, meat, swine, and cheese uh, selection never actually turned up, um, we we've got Campafrio on board who uh, were sponsoring Carlos Sainz uh, during this period, and they are one of Spain's premier manufacturers of daily meats um, and other food products. Um, so no, this, all that stuff arrived only after has it all. That's the thing. Yeah, the lockdown he keeps. Yeah, is that what it is? He's blaming the lockdown for us not getting it. Yeah, Schlegel boys, man. Schlegel, yeah, fucking Schlegel yeah, boys. Yeah. <laughs> wearing their Subaru, Subaru jackets. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Daihatsu 555. Five, five. Yeah, Mitzi Turbo Cup. Yeah. Anyway, that's. We're alienating people outside of yeah. the, the Hardy Bucks and Irish Rallying <laughs> demographic there. Um, at an awful rate we better, we better keep it like just looking at the stats like we for the podcast we actually have a good few international listeners which is pretty cool like apologies if if you if, if you can't understand the word we're saying um, our big our biggest fear is that like 
when we're speaking. We try to be as articulate as we can, but if anyone's familiar with the TV show Father Ted, that we're like the Eurovision presenter Fred Rickwood. <laughs> that we di- we divert from his backstage persona to the onstage persona and back and forth, and sometimes you guys can't yeah. keep up with which one is which. Yeah, this is us trying to be trying to make ourselves as legible as possible. So, well, like, look, imagine if it's, any, if it's any consolation, I'll be the first person to admit that I'm the hardest to understand because even in my previous job, I used to be on calls with a lot of guys in the states, and I could always hear the stunned silence that they'd have when they hadn't a clue what I'd spent the last five minutes talking about. Yeah, and that was me and my best talking to American corporate. Yeah. yeah, corporate jargon and all that kind of jazz. Yeah, but but that does occur though. Like I know for a fact that um, I've co-driven for a guy from Barbados, and he had he specifically said that he could only have people of three nationalities uh, sit with him in the car: Bajan, obviously from Barbados, Scottish or Irish, because the pace of how we speak. I know exactly what he's saying, and he knows exactly what I'm saying because whatever it is about the the pace that we were talking at we're able to work out what each other are saying yeah but that's you're not is, the first you're not the first person i've heard say that um a few of the lads from home have competed in barbados actually it's they said this is one of the best things they've ever done and we actually we we kind of looked into it recently enough again you know what what it would entail to to go back over and, and compete actually um, i want to give a shout out to the the my my driver, Greg Cozier, he's the organizer of the Barbados Historic Rally Carnival. Very nice guy. Great man to smuggle a bottle of rum into New York as well. So shout out to Greg. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of our listeners might be familiar with him. He's a real good laugh. Real good guy. Very good. Very good. But as I said, yeah, we we <coughs> we, we investigated going back over there because as I said, the lads had a, had a class time over there. But... Uh, maybe maybe in the future, but you're, as I said, uh, they, they said something similar that the, the dialects, even though they're opposite sides of the Atlantic, they're actually, I suppose, in terms of being able to understand them, they're actually not that 100 miles away from each other. So that's just a, an interesting thing to note. It's like, you know, the, the, uh, I was watching, what was I watching lately? Kankin uh, using English notes. He'd been using English notes all his life, and that was, you know, the way Grace was able to transition into for him so easily and stuff like that it was just a funny thing to note you you hear it with some other nationalities you would have the, the English guys coming in it's just unusual to hear a Finnish guy using English notes which didn't slow Kankinen down by any means so, so Aaron Schwartz uh, also when, with Manfred Heimer he's, the notes were always in English there as well yeah it's just a, for, with two German guys but it could be it was mentioned before that um, with the with using English notes they're very black and white, whereas there could be several. I think that in, in Finnish there are several different variations that could be used for some but as well, descriptions. Just with with the with shorts as well. It's one thing. That would, there seems to be a hell of a good standard for the English in Germany anyway. Um, they probably speak yeah. English better than we do, lads. I'm not even joking. I, I spent yeah. six months. I used to work there a lot, and I spent six months over there working back in what 2017, um, and. The lads have better English than me. Like, oh yeah, Dave. Dave uh, learned English. I have Irish, bog warrior English. <laughs> Let's go to the Safari Rally. Um, again, how do we even get there from from Ireland? That's a bit awkward. It's several flights. To, so, to yeah. Amsterdam or Sheffield or something. 
Oh, that's true, actually. It probably would yeah. be, yeah. yeah. Maybe we talk about so does, does the flight from Cork to Amsterdam fairly regularly, so... Yeah, because yeah, I, sure, I was there, I went down to South Africa twice now, and I went Cork. I actually went to a lot of Cork, London, Amsterdam, but I was going down as far as Cape Town, so it's a bit further. You're, you're Mr. Worldwide, aren't you? You're like fucking people. <laughs> oh, yeah, pres- cheap pres- prestige worldwide, that's what I am. Prestige worldwide, yeah. Yeah, yeah. black leather gloves. Got it. I think we're talking about two different worldwide things here. Yeah, I'm talking about I'm talking about Step Brothers Prestige Worldwide. God, we can't. This is how bad we are. We can't even get the quotes right. <laughs> worldwide, worldwide. Yeah, I, I backed. I backed out of that one. I, I didn't commit to it. Command, yeah, probably safer. <laughs> You're better off. <clears throat> um, yeah. So, just into the the safari. Like this is this was the era. Like it was still what you call a proper safari, it wasn't as long as, as um, you know, the, the really, the older events, it, but it was still a massive, massive challenge. They were obviously tied to three days going to the, the regulations um, at the time, but, like, you had stages um, that were as long as an entire leg of, you know, other rallies in the championship at the time, which is pretty mind-boggling when you when you, when you think about it. I think it was over 3,000 kilometres overall. Um, yeah. In terms of just on that, Mars, yeah, looking at that, was it the, I don't know, you're going to look at that, Tommy, in a bit more detail, but just on the stages, so you had the overall stage kilometres of 1,129 kilometres, just in stage mileage. Mm. The longest stage of the event, Altepesi, or however you pronounce it, was 117 kilometres run twice. The I shortest there, I think there was a long one. I think there was no, 124. Oh, sorry, 124 was yeah. Maragat or whatever you call it. The shortest stage of the rally, Kaijado or however you pronounce it. And apologies for my bad pronunciation. I, I grew up in Tipperary. Um, the Nairobi MC will be on in a minute anyway. Yeah, so um, 50 kilometers was the shortest stage. 50. Yeah, yeah, that's. I'd say was was there another stage in the championship? Even that was fifty kilometers. When you, you know, on, on the kind of more sprint events, I, I'm not sure if there was if there if there was or not. Argentina, because not to There, yeah, I think you're right. There was what there is. There's another stage that was ran in one of the earlier rounds of this season that they they ran it and then to the service immediately afterwards. Yeah, have to have a look back. I'd have to look back through the notes, but you are right. I think there is something similar kind of kilometer right to that. Yeah. Of course, yeah. I think I think in recent years when Cor- Corsica has ran, they've ran less stages but longer kilometers. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, like you, you had you know maybe slightly before this era, you had longer stages in like New Zealand, Moto and. Mm. I know Swede, the Swedish ran a forty something kilometer stage for a while, um, but yeah, as I said, you know, to, 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 I, I think, <laughs> I think that's the one. Actually, I think you're right. Was Sweden? Yeah. Could but, you uh, think of a better stage for a better country to have a stage that long in Sweden? Imagine how enjoyable that is. Fifty kilometers of just unadulterated rally in the snow. Yeah, I'd say to to be if you imagine I, I, if you got into a good flow, I'd say to be fairly yeah. fairly good though. But it's if you were the opposite of the things and oh, bear in mind, like we wouldn't pass it. I'd, I'd probably I'd probably bin it off the start line. I'd probably break a shaft and throw it into a ditch. Yeah, off you'd the actually end up rolling backwards back down to the time control. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. A lot of so, some people though. It, it was discussions that have been had in 
a number of motor clubs for people who are often complaining about oh, stages being too long and you know some people would be of the argument that stages are too short to be honest the longer the stage it's the greater the test for the the crew of driver and navigator and if you have your notes made in such a way that you can work out that okay we're a quarter of the way into the stage and you things like that if you have a reminder in the notes to you know to wake up the driver that first quarter of the stage you're not switching on you still have three quarters of the stage to you know pull yourself together Make up the three minutes you've lost. yeah and, and yeah. It's <laughs> but it's still like it, with longer stage you can, like having things in your notes about like dividing up the stage into its different characteristics of the surface changing the type of corning changing well, you, and to manage tires and that kind of thing well you tend to do that anyway on on different junctions and you'd have locations anyways from here you know as you know yourself you'd have a section just to break it up because it attack like hell between point a and point b point See, oh, I would, yeah. You could be a bit dirty well known, here, you know. Yeah, I'd be well known for my full-on flat-out attack. All right, yeah. You are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you are. Yeah. 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 But, uh, for anyone that uh, doesn't realise I'm being incredibly sarcastic there, yes. I am shit. Ah, <laughs> uh, no, you're not that bad. It's bad enough, no. Yeah, bad enough. <laughs> um, the, the rally uh, comprised of 41 entries with 14 works entries. Uh of the 41, uh, 24 A8 cars, even for uh rally that comprised of 3,000 kilometres in total, 24 A8 cars turned up, 14 works versions. Um, Subaru entered three cars. Um, Marco Martin stayed at home this time, and Toshi Arai uh, arrived in his place. Um, Hyundai didn't enter a team. Um, obviously, with the Evo 2 accent, they were still striving to get a bit of reliability. They seem to have recurring problems in the last two events with turbo and turbo issues, things like that. So I think a rally like Safari for its high-speed nature and at the same time also the rough nature of it might have been hard on it. Uh, Skoda entered a third car for Roman Cresta and notable privateer in the world car was our friend, the shipping magnet, Freddie Dor in a private Subaru S7 uh, WRC world. He, he was one of the first to get in, well, probably the first to get in S7. Um, so, yeah. If that was the case, like, Jesus, that was still the works car at that point. Like. Sure. It was only five months old, six months old that stage. The car? Yeah, it would have been. And it looked to be the, the ridge on it wasn't an SRT ridge like all the other works cars had it that year. I think it might have been an X-Test car or something, but still yeah. Yeah, pretty pretty cool to, to on see. The, on the question on the entry list, when I, when I <clears> look at it properly, there's a, a, I got caught when I saw it first. Is he any relation to Yari Matty, the older Yari Lapala that did it's his It's his father. Is it his dad? It is his father, yes. Um, I, think he, I think he did the rally a couple of times before as well. Um, I'm, I vague recollections of seeing that name finish the rally before. Uh, other entries actually in the N4 class with him. Uh, there was 15 uh, Group N cars uh, with four-wheel drive that entered it, and obviously a practical car for the conditions. Uh, Stig Blomqvist entered. Um, you had your usual suspects in Group N, the likes of Marcus Legato and Gabriel Pozzo. But Rudy Stoll was one that uh, jumped out at me as a name that uh, stuck out because he's one of the last men to actually rally an Audi in the World Rally Championship, as in, in its Group A form, the kind of the bubbly coupe uh, A2. 
Um, also, he's the founder of Manfred Shaw, um, who we've seen, well, we saw in the last decade, uh, rallying the Zaras and the 307 and stuff. 307, yeah. things like that. I just and thought of something. Shaw was a cool character as well, wasn't he? He was seemed like a, de- mm-hmm. uh, a cool old chap. Um, a yeah. couple of good results as well. I just thought of something with Dor getting the H7, right? And this is only just um, a, a bit of a, a theory. Pro Drive never actually took the P2000 to the Safari, did they? No. No, they didn't actually. Because they, they, they used the 99 car in 2000 for the first few events, and Bournes actually won the event in it. Um, and then they switched to the P2000 in Portugal, and obviously they brought the S7 in in the Monte of 2001 so I wonder was it a case that obviously Dar had been running a P2000 along with other you know wealthy privateers at that point um, in 2001 was it a case of he wanted to run a decent car or the late, he didn't want to go back to 99 car or whatever and they said you know we don't have we don't, we, we don't actually have any kit for the P2000 because like the P2000 and the, the car that the S5 we'll call it that went before it were, were quite different under the skin they might have looked outwardly quite similar there was a few differences in the bumpers and the bonnet and the, the spoiler and things like that but under the skin there was something like eight percent <coughs> different to the to the the earlier uh two draw cars um so i yeah, just wonder right. and like if you look at this is an interesting point as well the amount of work that had to be done to the cars to prep them for the safari was was huge Um, obviously so they were running them higher Um, they had lots more underbody protection um, they had bull bars, they had extra grills, they had extra, you know, light running lights. To, to I'd, say it would have been, I'd say it's been a lot cheaper, like just to bring another one, yeah. I'd, I, yeah, I, I, I think just that on, could on be it. Point that you're talking there, but like, like one, they had the fact that it's a long haul event, so logistically it's a lot easier just to bring a mimicking car, but I just said there then as well, the amount of prep and spares and crash airing, even though it's a private air car. How much more would it cost him and Project to bring that um, P two thousand down there? Yeah, I, I, again, it's just a theory. I don't, I don't know, but like, like as, as I said, the, um, oh my god, have we actually got something right for a change? That'll that'll be a, a first. Um, but anyway, <laughs> the, just to go back to the prep that the, you, you just hit record, didn't you? Oh no! <laughs> 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 uh, um, oh my god, we don't know any sounds. There it is, there it is, or the cleverest thing, or the funniest thing you ever say. <laughs> no, <laughs> But um, yeah, so like as I said, the, the amount of prep that had to be done to the cars, even beyond what you could what you could physically see, was was crazy and such a tough event on a car. Oh my god, you can see why the Japanese teams, especially, used to spend so much time and, and money on trying to win it, like Toyota back in the the nineties, the eighties and nineties. Um, they were pretty dominant over there. Even because of the amount of prep review, they had. There. Even the review of this event, they have a tech piece with George Donaldson. Um, uh, with Mitsubishi, and again, any, anything anything tech related, I know from George Donaldson is doing it because he's just same kind of David Lapper. They get kind of get really in and just straight in, straight facts when they're talking. There's no kind of corporate bullshit coming out of their mouth. Yeah, it's um, just pure pure engineering yeah, sort of yeah, stuff. It's yeah. really cool. Like yeah, it's, yeah, just, yeah. it's just nice to see like for like kind of anyone. It's anyone the purest kind of stuff. Yeah, but it's just it's because like any of us that are involved and interested, I'd say ninety percent of us have some kind of engineering or tech background or interest anyway. So. Yeah, it's not just about watching the cars go fast. We love to see the work goes into cars. I do anyway. But I don't know. No, we're yeah. the same. I, I, I agree actually, with you. I, and I, it's one of the things that really pulled me in during this era was the, the tech, how 
technologically advanced these cars were comparison to what was on the road. Same with F1 at the time. You know, it was just mind blowing to have this yoke with yeah. Like it's sad to say, it's sad to say her biggest interest, even at that age, where like, I used to get excited over a roll cage. Design. I'm not messing. I was the same. I did. I, I did it. I look at the cars. I look at the cars. I go, Jesus, look at that nice little triangulation. Yeah. Why, why is that pipe there? That, that why is that smaller diameter? What's going on here? And I was like, obsessed. Yeah, I did. I did a project mm-hmm. in college, even, and I was still, you know, fascinated by it, even then, like on on rock edge design, like. But yeah, even on that, I remember in college, and I was sick, and I never did it properly. It was the formula student? I remember one of my modules, um, manufacturing degree. There was a module where we had to do all the prep for that project, do all the specking, design, do all the documents, get everything ready, right up to the point where you would actually build it. Yeah, and I was going to go through it. I obviously naturally, I just went. Helpful leather. It was probably the best college project I ever did. And then it was only afterwards I asked my lecturer, and he was like, "Yeah, we, I didn't realize the University of Limerick were involved." And I was like, "Jesus Christ, I would love this." Yeah, yeah, I know the Dublin colleges were big into it. Um, they still do DIT down in um, oh, I can't Bol- think. Bolton Street, isn't it? Yeah, Bolton Street. And um, my previous life up to a year ago. Um, with D, I was dealing a lot with them on their former students sourcing the the fittings and uh, bits and pieces for it. Like, it, it, in fairness, it's a great education for somebody to go practically at engineering a race car of some description, you know. And like a lot of the guys actually you find do get into the sport properly after it. Absolutely. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> and actually, on that note, if there are any colleges with students struggling with this project, you have idle help that are willing to help. <laughs> yeah, yeah, please yeah. let us yeah. be involved please please give William a job please, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I can't I can't afford to we can't the podcast can't can't afford to to, to pay us so um, yeah, yeah it's, it's a financially unstable model to, to say the least <laughs> we're, actually, we're actually losing money on every episode but sure <laughs> we've actually two more very interesting uh, entries in the rally that just uh, to close out the, the entry piece in Class A5, um, British crew, Pablo Raybould and Andy Bull, um, are, they were entered in a Mini Cooper, a Rover Mini Cooper. Brave, man. Uh, yeah. And in Class A7, a local driver with a British co-driver, uh, Raj uh, Jutley and Roy Dennis in a 205. GTI. I'm guessing it's a 1.9 205 GTI. Yeah, Class A7. Class A7. Um, it's funny actually Andy I I was was trying to make contact with him because it would be nice to actually get a bit of feedback from somebody who did the rally because Andy competed he was running out the same team with us when we did a rally out in Mallorca he was in an M3 staying on a yacht we were in a Mark 1 Escort staying in a 20 quid a night flat but anyway (laughs) yeah (laughs) but uh, he won the rally Uh, we our engine blew on stage too. Um, Pablo Raybould and Andy Bull's Mini bravely went and attempted to complete the first stage. The transmission failed on the first oh, stage. Oh no. The story for the Brave Souls in the 205 GTI. Don't know how far they got into the first stage, but they broke a drive shaft. <laughs> I, re- I, I, re- yeah, I really hope that it wasn't all these things that we know where they're really hyped up on the start line and just let the clutch out at 6,000 revs and yeah. broke the shaft. Take you know, off in a, in a fit of just excitement and bang. Yeah. 
yeah. doing. I, I hope that isn't what happened. Oh but. man, I have a funny story actually about um, about drive shafts. Another friend of ours was uh, selling his old and those that had data ECU or something to one of his rally car, Civic rally car, to just a guy who was into Civic broadcast and stuff like that. And your man decided to plug it in and <clears throat> take the car for a spin and to see what difference the ECU make, made. And he actually burst the shaft um, on the road doing a standing start um, and pronounced the ECU to be a serious job, lad. And uh, <laughs> what about the ECU often? <laughs> <laughs> the two of them were sitting inside the car, like, should have to wait for a tow because the fucking thing couldn't move. But the ECU was a serious job, lad. So, uh, so anyway, um, you know that you know that, you know that you bought a quality product when it renders your transmission useless. <laughs> yeah, 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 so that's 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 a that's a little insight into the in, in, into the Honda world there for like I love Hondas as well, like but you you see some stories like that you just have to laugh, like it's just mad stuff um, like unique but, things uh, unique things about this rally. Um I suppose we've we've alluded to it there. Um Snorkels, George Donaldson covered some of that in the the video footage of the event with the tech inside, but spotters as well, you know, and they're even using bull bars on the car uh, and the weather seemed to be quite key there because uh, go from a very high speed rally uh, in the dry to an absolute mud bath so it's uh, but the, so a lot so, of factors so, in this rally and a lot of things very unique to the rally yeah the safari like it was like in the footage really captured it did a huge amount of, of aerial shots <clears throat> and it really showed the scenery and the wildlife and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, it was really spectacular. Some really, really quick parts of the stages, you know, where the cars are. I think that, like, I remember Burns in, in Richard Burns' book, he described oh, yeah. the, the fastest he'd ever been in the rally. Like, I was in the safari, like, he'd hit the limiter on top of it. 155, wasn't it? 155 miles an hour, something like that. Yeah, it was mad really? stuff. Like, no, yeah, 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 going, yeah. He said he was going in a slightly downhill section. And off the clock at one fifty-five, because it was geared quite long as well for that event. Jesus. Yeah, there was as I said, there was the head the, the the longest the longest gearing they could they could fit at the time or whatever. But uh, it just shows, you know, the the, the it's a bit like the the deck here in, in in that aspect. And then you have other bits where the cars are literally at a standstill, like they're either going through a river crossing or over you know, over just, quarry or whatever. Yeah, but just on that point, before we kind of carry on with the event, with it being kind of a almost a traditional road rally style. It is actually an open road event. Yeah. Because it, it doesn't run the traditional closed special stage. The stages are not I think, I think there was only two stages. There was one stage repeated twice that, that actually had, what uh, was ran as if it was a closed road special stage. And as you said, all the rest of them then were open to yeah. the public, which is and mad when you think about it. Like, But it is, but it, it's just, it's down to the landscape. It's down to the geography, the country. And that's, it's why, for anyone that doesn't realise, it's why the spotter helicopters are so important because yeah. you're dealing with, obviously, your, your African local animals being your elephants, giraffes, big birds, as Tommy McKinnon finds out, yeah. um, locals driving down the road. So it's, it's mental to think about it, but it's, it, I, I think there's, there's something really cool to see about it. A proper, but there was up to eight. There was up to eighteen helicopters up in the air at one time. Yeah, I know. It, it was like the boom. But like, but like, but, <laughs> like but, during the boom. But that, 
<laughs> that brings its own safety concerns into it because um, now I don't think it happened as a result of that, but I know in the Ivory Coast rally in 1987, Toyota Team Europe, um, the uh, well-known British uh, navigator Henry Lydon, he would have uh, sat with Timo Mackinnon back in the 70s and 60s. He was running their uh, African team. And Nigel Harris, who was uh, Malcolm Wilson's co-driver in the 6R4 and prior to that in Quattro's and things, they had a, I don't know, I don't think it was a helicopter crash, but it was a plane crash because with the, with the helicopters having to radio down to the cars with the poor nature of quality of things, I think sometimes a plane had to run as well to be like the bouncer or the, you know, to, to bounce the, the signal or something. But that, that could be wrong. But like when you have that volume of helicopters out there all chasing after the one, down the one piece of road, it must get fairly sketchy. Yeah, sure. Didn't they? I, I know they had to. I, it's probably a standard on most WRC events now, but I remember when Rally Ireland was here, they had the, the red stringer helicopters and the flight plans and stuff. But for anyone who had never saw it, I know we're on a much smaller scale, but it, it was nearly that bad in Ireland back with the boom years where you could see 10 or 12 helicopters going through a stage. Here, Donegal, last year, we were at a spot on the Saturday and a helicopter counted one. Next thing, about five minutes later, there was two or three more on the spot, and one of them was actually sinking into the bog as the stage was happening. <laughs> and I think the boys realized that about 20 cows in had to sprint back and get the oak out. And it actually looked for a time as if the thing was struggling to pull itself out of the, the bog. Like, imagine ringing someone to say, I've actually got the helicopter stuck in the bog. I've landed. Oh, it, was on, it was on skids, like, it wasn't on wheels. Like, so. Were um, either of you with us? Um, for the Killarney Historics in December, down on Mulls Gap in the morning, no? I was doing the rally, so I was, there with, you. I was, there, I was there with you briefly for a second. <laughs> yeah, for, for 10 seconds. No, Morris, because you were on a different stage. We were down there with the first stage in the morning, down about half five to six in the morning. Three helicopters in December for the Historics. Yeah. We were so close to getting the boom back. We were that close. Oh, it snatched away from us. <laughs> we snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. So, <laughs> yeah. as always. But anyway, yeah, let's get back to, to, to the rally in question. As we said, um, they so much special about the safari. Um, <clears throat> the, even the, the base nuts they were using, I'd say, Ricky and his safari must have been a nightmare. So, so long, like it was, it was basically three events in, in the space of one. Um, I'm not sure, like, obviously, practice was disallowed at this stage, so unlimited runs over the route or whatever, but um, there was still an element of. of the normal, the normal Ricky, but they had special kind of notes. Oh, Nicky Chris touches in it. Um, prior, prior to this, they had, I suppose, the, the notes he developed with with, with McRae to, to kind of adapt themselves to, to the conditions or whatever they obviously work for them. But um, it wasn't just a case of calling the corners and the distances and the bumps. You know, you had all these extra hazards and obviously the information from the spotter chopper coming in as well. And that's it. Like it's, it's not like they're cruising through on long distance stages trying to make it survive they're still flat out uh, did i hear rightly that the notes that mccray and gris were using they were almost like a hybrid between obviously ever it's well known that colin mccray's notes were a six fastest system but i think obviously in the chris harris podcast that he mentioned something about them being like a hybrid between descriptive and 
six fastest because I, I, I think that it was kind of slow and stop and that kind of stuff um in a muslim tour yeah um or it was bit, fast or fast medium depending on the, on the on the hazard like yeah they were as i said they were very specific to to this event but um they obviously had worked from McRae, had won it a couple of times um at, at this stage but um yeah so just go, going into the <clears throat> into the start of the event like the way they the way they vanished the because the stages are so long and so so tough on cars and crews, it was kind of a service after after each stage. Um, the first day was repeated as the third day, and the second day in, they actually went to the, the northern hemisphere. They actually crossed the equator, um, to 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 get there, which is pretty cool in itself, you know, to have an event, um, pretty much in the middle of the world, um, yeah. As as well, I know, like they're they're talking about bringing the safari back. I'm not sure if it'll happen this year for obvious reasons, but the by the sounds of it, the the farmer they were bringing it back in, it was more of a kind of a closed area, kind of a, a big reserve or a big uh, natural park or whatever whatever the case was. But you know, this 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 was one of the very last of the old school type safaris, even though as we said, it was it was shortened compared to previous times, but. Still a massive, massive challenge for for drivers and navigators and teams and everyone. It was just even people covering it. Like, geez, imagine trying to follow this thing around and throw report and get footage and whatever. Like I said, it was, it was just a crazy adventure for the for the whole circus, you know. Yeah, like I suppose look, the distinctive things about the safari or the unknown things was like William said already. The, the roads were not closed and I think it became quite obvious early in the event there's a piece on the onboard of onboard with McRae and Grist where it's coming through a fast right into a fast left all sixth gear stuff and on the inside line of the left hander the spotter chopper told them, yeah there's an abandoned bus there you know like just it, it's quite typical of it but there's stuff that that uh, occurs on this uh, that is visible on the uh, TV footage from the time which, like, we're not like okay, we're not that easily offended when it comes to things watching. But safety-wise, some of this is a bit, you know, oh, it's like, just there's a flying finish it. into the stop control, and I don't think the distance is quite right between the two. There's about twenty meters between the finish board and 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 the, and, the, the, and stop the stop car. Control. Yeah, you can see like as line as lined with people. Lined with people, yeah, it's it's it, it really had been like just on, on that time we talked about with the setup of the stages. Like, obviously, there's things they can and can't control, yeah. but you said that like basics like that for <clears throat> that stature, it's, like it's, well, not, uh, it's not okay. An old favorite of ours actually uh, made an appearance uh, on board with Francois Delacour, the old Corolla XLI. I actually had a note about that because especially when we were talking last week about my adventures in the in, in the import sprinter, I, I actually laughed when I saw it. I know. <laughs> I couldn't stop laughing when I saw it. I was like, there's no one out again for another run. You know what? There's, <laughs> a, there's a good chance that's actually the same here. Excellent till I die. Do you know that was actually Francois Delacour's first uh, safari? Isn't that, that's mad when you think about it. I didn't when you think. But when you think the, about it, yeah. yeah, well, like the the obviously in the early nineties, teams kind of could pick and choose. A lot of them chose not to go because of the the sheer expenditure involved. And um, then when it became mandatory, you know, 
Yeah, you you could see the teams that hadn't had the experience all the way up along. You could see that they, they were suffering compared to others. Like I'd say, Peugeot must have been dreading it coming into the event. Yeah. Um, for obvious reasons, they they were struggling to get around any rally at this point in in, in the season. You and wonder inter- why? Like you wonder, was there an issue, or was there any doubt at the management level that with the season they were having, you'd wonder where they sit there going, "Will we bother spending the money going all the way down to Kenya to bring back scrap?" I, I don't know. I see it's it's I suppose they were they were one of the front line teams. Um I don't know what the situation was at the time. Would team were, was there a penalty for teams not turning up the rounds or whatever? Because I know that was talked about in, in, in the years following this. And the same in F one, you know, there's, there's obviously major penalties for, for not completing the full championship all that kind of stuff. I don't know what the situation was at the time. On that, even for privateers now with the WRC, if you register for a championship and don't complete rounds, there's there's a fine. Yeah, it's it's kind of I suppose I can true. see I can see why they do it in one way, and then I suppose at the time they had so many manufacturer teams and they were transitioning to to where the sport was heading. No, probably a worse place, but look, anyway, it's a, it's a bit um, authoritarian, really. Though. Yeah, but I can see I can see why as well. That you know that there was obviously. <clears throat> A lot of a lot of things hinging and sponsorship deals and stuff hinging on on teams being in for every round. It's, look, we we know that Skoda didn't go to New Zealand and Australia this year as well. Citroen obviously were in development. They picked and chose what they were doing, but yeah, it was just unusual. Um, also, just in the Peugeot camp, um, bit of a sore taste there with Arville. Um, he wasn't nominated for manufacturer points. He obviously felt aggrieved about it. He had some good yeah. results there in the past. And this and week, something new: Arville whinging again. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> in in news that isn't news at all. Oh, I'm happy. I know. Yeah, I look to be honest. I feel sorry for the guy. He, he I, I did too, to be honest. He obviously wasn't having the best time. We've kind of alluded to that already. Um, his season with this this season with Puget wasn't a very happy one for him. The results weren't quite there. Um, he'd one win, and other than that, there wasn't much happening. And I'd say he felt he was being. You know, he probably went in with 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 different expectations to what was to happen and. Rovan Payer was nominated for manufacturer points and was to end up doing a, a, a fantastic job in the event, actually. Um, as well, on that, Morris, like, on, on that point, Rovan Payer, one, a hell of a job for him to step up with that pressure, and two, it was a fairly bold call by Peugeot to do it, even though Oriel wasn't having a great year. I mean, how many times would he have done the safari at this stage? Yeah, yeah. Oriel so was it, around it, 15 it was, years at that stage. Probably, right? It was strange for them to make that call after having an abysmal year. You hand the reins over to Rovan Payer, now, obviously, it turned out fantastic, but you just you could you could see where are you? You could see why you're sitting there on like why the fuck am I not nominated for points here? Yeah, I think I think Ariel too though. There probably a touch of the window was closing a little bit on him as well because time, yeah. he we're talking twenty years ago. The, the man was 42, 43 at that stage nearly. Yeah. And, did you, did know, you know that he looks exactly the same? Well, he always looked that age. He's he's looked he's looked the same age since 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 around the mid eighties. He, he he kind of adopted a look in the mid eighties and it's I saw him read a legend there a couple of years ago. Um as actually him, himself and Peter Sarberg doing donuts in a group A Salika, which was Joe wouldn't them kind of pinch yourselves about ten foot away from us, which is kind of one of those pinch yourself moments, but it just struck me like, Oh my god, this man is is defied all known medical science, like he he seems to just not be Aging at all, but he, he reminds me of Bonehead from um, Oasis. 
you know, he, he looks the same now as he did back in 1995. Yeah. Fair play to him, whatever yeah. approach he's taken. Maybe, yeah, as I said, with the sunglasses keeping them harmful UV, UV yeah. rays out. That's, um, that's, that's the key. So. There we go, yeah. maybe he was right all along. But anyway. Just on, on, on the driver line up there again, for Roman Cresta arriving with Skoda, was this, I don't know, can I not remember him doing another event with Skoda? No, Cresta would have done a couple of rounds in 2001 um, with the Wax team. He was obviously bringing uh, some bit of backing from from home um, as well. I'm not sure the circumstances of this particular drive, but I know that he he was doing a few rounds from around this time. Um, but Skoda, like they 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 put a fair effort into it. Um, obviously, think it was going to be a strong rally for them because pace wasn't the, wasn't the thing here. It was it was all about just uh, endurance. So. Bruno's for, me, for me, it's a car I'd be putting my money on back then, going into the Safari, like Octavia, all the way. But Bruno Thierry was lacking in experience as well because it was only a second Safari. The year before, he was with Subaru. Oh, sorry, he, I think it was 1999. He went to do it with Subaru and he only got through the Super Special and he had an electrical problem. The year before that, he got injured on the recce and Ari Vatanen uh, had to jump in and he finished third in the escort and got a, an Indian summer of his world rally career in 1998. Yeah. It was Ari, fun. It, it, we, we could go into a serious tangent on Ari Vatanen and the latter days in the WRC. We might look at that some way down the line because yeah. I, I, I looked at something that there yesterday regarding the stage times when he did a uh, rally Finland in uh, oh no! Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. And the times when you actually look at them, they're bloody impressive for a man of his age. Yeah, we met, we, we, we met Ari at the top of the Caldetrina there last year at the Monday, and uh, what a cool guy! Like, geez, he was. Isn't he, isn't he everything that you want him to be and more? Oh, he's just uh, just a class guy. He, he he took like we were talking to him for for a good while, and he he was telling us about. Joe, how much he loved Irish rallying and just a couple of more stories like that. Uh, he's just Joe, as I said, he's everything you, you'd hope he'd be. Um, but you you hit the nail, you hit the nail in the head there, Morris. He was telling you. Yeah, you know, that's the thing. It, it, it wasn't one way, like you know, oh hi, Ari, yeah. <laughs> we're a big fan. He was actually interested in participating in the conversation. Yeah, you know? no, he's, he's he's definitely a case of do meet your heroes. Um, I think yeah. it's kind of the same same comparison with uh, Yarmadi Lafla. You were saying when you met him before and actually interviewed him, didn't you? I, I yeah, I spoke, I spoke to uh, actually yeah, the, the autosport there a couple of years ago. I interviewed a lot of the the guys who just happened to be in the media center at the right time. Got a, got words with them, but I didn't. I I spent the time talking to him about. You know, trying to get to see what, what what kind of level of passion they had for the sport, and guys like yeah, Yerry Matty and and Hayden Padden and, and Chris Meek, you know, they're just massive enthusiasts as well as being, you know, top top drivers. Like, and it was great to see that side of it as well. All Yerry Matty wanted to do was talk about quattros for the day, um, <laughs> and his leakers and stuff like that. And then it was weird because we were chatting with, and Tommy Mackin came over. And kind of pointed at his watch and what was something he finished. And yeah, he actually apologized and said he had to go. So it's just, you know, it's just, I don't know, but it's great to see the human side of these guys. But as we said, Ari's, um, Ari's, you know, one of the great ambassadors for the sport, huge passion for it still. Um, and and just a just a really, really, really cool guy all around. But anyway, I think um, we I think we all probably have half a dozen cool stories about meeting people who would be 
thought that it mightn't be that good. And then when you met them, it was even better. So yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we could, we could, that could nearly be an, an episode. Oh, <laughs> I, I've, I've some, I've some good stories from the, the Cork Twenty year, the works teams here before Rally Ireland, and sorry, Cork Twenty and Donegal that year, um, where you had what you Loeb and Donegal, you had was it Loeb, Herman, and Sardo and Cork, yeah, yeah. And there was I was doing stage entrance on one of the stages. I was I got late. I was there late at the meetups. So I got the crap job of stage entrance. Um, yeah. And all the lads stopped, kind of right in front of me. I was kind of getting ready and kind of having the pistols up, and I went up and I was standing there. At one point, there was Loeb, Elena, Sardo, Marty, Herman, um, what's Cordovigan then? Leighton, yeah, my Leighton. Yeah, Leighton, Mark Higgins, Roy Kennedy, all there in a circle. I was there, my baby, and I was like, Jesus, I need to relax here, and that cool. You know? <laughs> the, the, this is what, this is what it's all about. Yeah, lads, yeah, yeah. like, oh, lads, huh? And yeah, you like, who, sure look. Yeah, yeah. Who's, the, who's that really nervous guy over there? Why does he keep staring at us? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing you didn't give them any early penalties, or did you? No, I don't know. I was at the stage entrance. All oh, right, okay. <laughs> That's what happens when you turn up late to a Marshall meeting. Yeah. Do you know what? I actually don't mind sometimes Marshall in the road section. Do you know what we did for the best cocktail one year? And it's, if it's nice weather, it's fine. Exactly. And if you yeah. don't have difficult spectators, I had a couple of difficult people that day. Um, yeah. And some kamikaze spectators out in the road, but. Yeah, I would. It was crazy around it. That was a crazy rally. I remember that actually being probably more enjoyable to watch than rally Ireland itself. But again, look, we'll. We'll, we'll get to that maybe in a, in a future episode but anyway uh, just looking at the, the, the since we're talking about scorers and the and the who was fastest in stage one was Armin Schwartz Armin Schwartz um, <laughs> can, can one of you answer me this because I cannot figure this out for the life of me and this happened a couple of times during the event look at the heli shots right The re- every car is filthy dirty because it had been raining kind of not long before the event and there was rain throughout the event and stuff like that so the stages were quite muddy in places Every bit of the car is destroyed, bare the driver's door. What's going on? Why, on why? Schwartz's car? Yeah. I, it's, it's baffling me. I don't know what's going on. Were they wiping it at the start control line to see the number? Maybe so. And mm. unless, unless they got every single hilly shot of Schwartz's car, Schwartz's car 50 yards after the start of each stage, I, I, I don't know. It was just. Possibly. You never know that it could have been down to the kind of the other way they'll distribute the shots from the helicopters to what they'll predict as the more important cars. That, yeah, mean? good point. Actually, so they'll, they'll, they'll get a reason. shot of the, the lower running cars early in the stage and make sure they're getting the shots of the, the of, of Mac and McRae. Yeah, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, that was actually anyway a fairly despite the, the mystery clean door uh, episode. Uh, really good performance from from Schwartz, and I think I don't think they had the same sort of kind of gravel crew support as as the other teams. But yeah, it was actually the first time. And a blistering fifty-five minutes marks. Yeah. Yeah, stage one, stage. fifty-five minutes. Yeah, there, there, there's a full national rally linked in Ireland. There, one, I, one goal. Like, yeah, I, I'd say, I'd say, in terms of the overall hours of this event, I, if I added up all the stages I've done in a rally car, it probably doesn't equate to the hours in total. Eight hours and fifty-eight minutes, yeah. the winning time. Yeah, I probably haven't done eight hours and fifty-eight minutes on stages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, that's like as to score as I think first time leading a world championship event, so they were pretty pleased about that. Um, Sainz had a puncher, uh, had to stop and change, um, bit of a panic there to, for Lewis Moy to get out and, and get him going. And he, um, he didn't lose that much time, relatively speaking. See, this is the thing with the Sferi as well you could stop and change a puncher, you could even have you know, have a cup of tea. 
<laughs> you could you could have fairly serious issues and still be there they are both because the, the the margins are so big the stages are so long i think that the was it four seconds i think between Mackin and schwartz and the opening stage which is some sort of fluke you know what i mean to be yeah. that close after that length of time but um one, co- some of, that could be down to not having a spotter chopper or not having a gravel truck yeah, that's, that's, that's true. Um, Burns, despite having all the, the Moita Pro drive behind him and the experience of winning the event a couple of times, this is an event that Burns would traditionally be very strong on as you know, one of the most intelligent guys out there. He's um, he strushed, actually just basically collapsed, um, started breaking up. And if you look at the picture, it mangled all the, the, the front wing of the car and everything on its way out. So he was going off order. So... Um, bit of a and bit like of a day one had day one pretty much the highest rate of attrition, wasn't it? There was, it was a five. lot, yeah, a lot five, of, that. Mm. five of the main guys out actually. All the big names out. Yeah, yeah. Stage two then was crazy muddy. Um, if you if you if you look at it uh, compared to stage one, it was just that real thick. You know what you'd see in a farm passage on must after stuff. Um, real, you know, difficult safari conditions, and again part of the challenge. Um, McRae's on stage three McRae broke a ball joint I think initially and they stopped to fix it because the car obviously wasn't he just, and he was fair looking at to hit someone where he went off it was crazy like, they were um, on the outside of the corner it was ridiculous like, where yeah. they were it was mad and did the car basically just plowed straight on how he didn't hit someone I don't know and then again further on the stage um, I think it was at the rack actually went in and because you could see the two the two wheels were facing each other, the two front wheels were facing each other, and Straight he couldn't chance. he couldn't he couldn't uh, go any further. Then he actually burnt the clutch out of it, tried to get it across the line. So that was his event over. Strange parallels with Burns. Yeah. Two hundred two hundred meters from the stage finish. Yeah. Do you know what about the, the conditions on stage two? It kind of brings you back to the. We've made the point a few times about the classic shots of WRC footage. You're talking about the kind of the, the muddy and the rain when when the safari gets gets very bad weather. Remember the classic shots of the say the sleek coming through the water splash. You have what else? You have Joe, Joe. Kind of we're talking about the classic shots. We talked about the Monty footage of McRae kicking the bonnet. So mm. you have Mac going over the the ditch. Um, you have what else do you have? There's nothing from really from Cyprus or Cobbles that sticks out. It was classic. Well, they, they would, you would, I suppose you could say the dust and the, the gravel and stuff, they're iconic in their own way, and especially the shots of some of the Acropolis stages high up with the, the kind of valleys and stuff behind them. They're, they're pretty classic yeah. to see. Like, but every, but the, safari, kind of, like the Safari has its own unique set of images that are just. You, you can't, yeah, you can't mistake an image um, from the safari with any other event it's so unique the way the cars are, are sitting the scenery the animals around the people around uh, yeah. it's just so cool it's, it's 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 a real pity that they that they moved away from it obviously there was there was reasons for doing so but yeah um, but, and again like the, there's a lot of debate going on about the, the returning safari and different format and matching the current conditions in the cars and stuff but I think you know, a lot of purists will, will, will probably go against the new format when it does return but see, yeah. the, thing, the other side of that is as well is like you look at the safety concerns that we've even highlighted here with the flying finish and things like that, people lining the roads in places. And they, they had the same issues with uh, Paris-Dakar and it was open to a lot of criticism for a long time that you had rich people going to a third world area uh, to partake in, in a race that wasn't going to be not contributing massive financially to the villages and areas that they're passing through 
And like that's, you know, whether we like it or not, that's how it gets viewed sometimes, you know, and if somebody got cleaned out of there. Yeah. It's a valid point though. That's that's a good probably a good point. Uh, you can you can. There's a there's a documentary about it that's well worth looking up. Uh, Madness in the desert. Um, it was about Paris Dakar. Now look, Paris Dakar rally race different, uh, discipline completely to the World Rally Championship. But you can see the parallels when you see something like the Safari Rally. You know because yeah. you it's essentially it's two completely contrasting worlds colliding. It is, yeah. It's a, it's, a, it's a good point, actually. Look, in the, the Paradacchio and there's a ferry, probably not a million miles away in terms of the, the ethos behind them. You know, they were mm. the real the real endurance. It's like there was nothing, as I said, numerous times in this episode, there was nothing like the safari anywhere else. You had roads that were similar in some places that were events, you know, the rough parts, but the overall challenge, uh, coupled with the, the, the length of it and the conditions and just the, the battery and the cars and crews were taking to was, was certainly unique. Um, Schwartz actually damaged his hand somewhat on stage four. He hit a bump and the, the wheel might have been wrenched out of his hand. Um, and like it's it's interesting to note, um, you can actually, like, I think OMP make a wheel called a safari, the two-spoke wheels. Mm. Um, now, uh, there's a, a couple of more manufacturers do the same, and it's to minimize that risk of having the spokes damage your thumbs or your wrist or whatever if the wheel gets pulled out of your hand in a bump or, or a rock or whatever, you know. So, uh, I know Likes around with him, Likes had obviously had a, a very serious accident there in '99, which affected his, his career probably in, in, in a bigger way than was kind of. No one at the time, um, in terms of confidence and stuff like that. Or we'll have a huge I crash. Can't, I can't remember that accent. I think the, the only footage that's there of it really is of the, the helicopter uh, coming in and seeing the car, and the guys basically crawling out kind of on their backs out of the car. Yeah, it was a huge, a huge hunt. Um, whatever, whatever happened, I don't know. Did it hit a bump and the car just took off or whatever? But it was, it was a really high speed one. and you know, very um you know, very lucky not to be not to be more banged up of it. But as I said, Ariel had a, a huge crash. Um I think it was legs actually came across the car on fire and stopped to make sure they were okay. But yeah. um he went I, I think it must have been pretty high speed. I think he misheard a note. I think he was I don't think there was any issue with the notes themselves. I think it was actually he, he, he misheard it himself. But the car ended up on its side on fire and if you look at him in the footage after he actually has a fairly big dint in his forehead so i'd say he the, there was a fairly high speed when he was fairly rattled from it like at least it was nice actually to see uh likes stopping um i recall seeing footage of uh world rally car burning to a crisp i think in rally germany a few years ago i think it could have been um martin prokop's car and no one stopping yeah. No. Oh yeah. Uh, no. Look, the other side of that is that there was probably an alert system in the car too. You know, for these kind of things. Yes, that's the, that's the thing that we. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah you know, yeah. so it's easy for and that I, I'm putting that in as my proviso on that because to be fair, nobody want no competitor wants to see anyone, and I'm not leveling that at any. But that's the most recent time I've ever seen a fire as aggressive as. Oh, it's, it's the scariest thing to like you see, mm. and cars cars went up quite a lot in this era, didn't they? Um, you know, despite having the state of the art in terms of fire suppression and and obviously protection and stuff like that, 
you know, Progenite had, had, had lost the Solbox car on Cyprus in a flash. This is up on fire. I just recall a couple of more cars going up during the year as well, like so, especially well, on the hotter just, events. So. Yeah, on, on the point in the fire suppression, like everyone knows that, that those systems, whether or not they're allowed to do it or whether or not they do do it at world level, about carrying the proper systems that will actually help clear the fire. The fire systems that are out there at the minute, everyone knows that, or anyone who doesn't know, they're only designed to give you time to get out of the car. They're yeah, not designed as opposed to saving the car. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's not their job. But I know, yeah. I know there was a big thing in Ireland here where a lot of the guys who were running um, XWRC cars were carrying extra tanks. So I think it was it halon gas or something else like that. I don't, I don't, I don't actually know. I, I think I remember seeing hearing something about this as well. Yeah, just a training. You could see why because technically, with the rules, they weren't allowed to. But they, they'd have the the standard approved fire suppression system. Then they'd carry an extra tank because they have a quarter of a million or a half a million of their own money invested in the car. They're not going to lose it. Yeah, yeah. But the, good, the, 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 the latest systems are um, they're almost a, a gas system. Uh, lifeline uh, we're going into proper nerd spec here now so sorry but uh, the the new systems they're a thousand euro plus per car and to get them serviced I think is up against 700 euro if someone discharges one by accident but really in the scheme of things if you have a quarter of a million euro rally car be it an R5 or an older world rally car um, you know that what's that money really when you know comes yeah, to saving what, what, and, and, and your own safety as well just, just, I was just going to say what, 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 what money is it after what, you know, what price you want to put on your own safety too it's, it's obviously yeah. you know you want to have the best year possible um, in, terms, in terms of that so but anyway uh, Granholm just continued his terrible uh, year with uh, an off it was a, kind of a really just a, an unfortunate one he landed out over a jump and the car just got away from him he ended up kind of just falling off the side of a bridge and actually just broke the suspension um, as he fell down he hit a rock or something and that was it rally over again um, I suppose he was all he could do really was laugh about it at that point but it was no laughing matter because it was, it, was, it was pretty serious four points there out of, out of eight rallies that's um that's, that's poor by any standards and not a reflection on, on, on him like George Pace was obviously still there he didn't just suddenly forget how to drive between 2000 mm. and 2001 but um, very frustrating obviously he was coming into some rallies that would suit the Peugeot better though for the for the latter half of the season but just another another terrible event for him um, one thing to note is just the huge gaps at the, the end of the day being just emblematic of the safari um, but you couldn't say that the rally was done and dusted by any means at that stage, um, even even with the gaps that were there. Obviously, any a puncher or mechanical issue could 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 stop anyone um, in their tracks. So nobody was was secure in their positions going into the 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 rest of the event. Yeah, so you yeah. Have, at the end of day one, you had Mackinnon leading signs by a minute and a half, which on any other event, you'd be like, that's nice on cruise to the finish, but not here. Robin Pair was five minutes back in third place. Yeah. It's, it's huge. But again, for the safari, that's not big. As I think Malcolm Wilson alluded to that as well. He said that anyone even going into day three with a two-minute lead or something, you'd still be you'd still be nervous. Yeah. Petra Salberg was fourth, and uh, like less than two minutes behind. Same story as they're saying there. And 
similar gaps back to Francois Delacour in fifth, bigger gap back to Armin Schwartz in sixty fourteen minutes off five away from Delacour with his own teammate a further five minutes back, Bruno Thierry in seventh, and Freddie Likes twenty seven minutes off the lead in eighth. But mm. Had Freddie, yeah. I know Freddie on day two, maybe it already happened at that stage, he was having fairly serious engine trouble. Had a head gasket, the head gasket had actually went, um, and he was down the two cylinders at one point. So it's actually, it's actually amazing they changed, to see. They, they, they changed, changed the transplant nearly, yeah. They changed the head, yeah. The, in, 20 minutes, in the 20 minute service, they stopped some going, yeah, yeah. But so, you know what's cool about that? What I love about that shot there, I know they're when they're. You can see the lads, it's just, again, you just don't see it anymore. You have the lads walking across the Mitsubishi camp there with just the head onto a top of a cabinet. And it's just, it's the most raw, kind of like amateur yeah. motorsport. Are you even allowed anymore these days? To, you're, to, yeah, you're not allowed to open up the engine anymore. Yeah, I was just thinking that. Like, uh, so, the door, again, it's very unique to the safari. I don't know. I, like, I'd imagine... Like the head and the block, they're two separate parts within the one unit. I'm sure. Where do you where do you end up? Where do you, where do you finish? Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. You just you'd be wondering about that one because it was a bit of a. I, I was under. The, I was under the impression. Yeah, you can't do an engine change anyway. That was that was yeah. all. I think that's in the rules anyway. But yeah, yeah I think no. I think that the rule is either, yeah, you can't swap the engine and you can't open up the engine either. You can poke it as Joe, I think, remember Dave Lambert yeah. in 06 with the Subaru stuff with the engineer in the World Rally. And you talk about where like they can't actually open up the cylinder head, they can't, they can poke in around as much as they can yeah. with cameras. And stuff it might, it might have been a different case for the Safari. Maybe, maybe they couldn't with Subaru because of the location of it being a lower engine. No, it was down to the regs. Basically, the, yeah. the engine being sealed, you know? Yeah. 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 But uh, yeah, it's just it's interesting to see it, uh, but they, they got it running again. Um, but on day two, was, the conditions were pretty bad uh, for a couple of stages. And it's it's mad to see how quick they're still going. Uh, Mackinnon especially, Jesus, he was pushing yeah. very hard. There's a couple of spots there where it's like, it's just basically aquaplaning for the whole length of a straight in, in fifth or sixth gear. Like, and you could hear... The sound. The, yeah, it's yeah all, you can't even hear the car. You can just hear the, the, the tires hitting the water and the, the water hitting the arches and stuff. It's crazy. But he was pushing really, really hard, and he had, despite having the lead he had, as you said, like nobody was safe in their position. Uh, one small problem, or you know, a, a mechanical problem there, and your 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 advantage is gone straight away. So he obviously felt felt the need to, to keep going. But it was telling. Um, it was it was taking his toll on the car. He came up to the the staff control at the last stage of the day. He looked wrecked. Risto Madison Mackey looked wrecked. All the, the other crews looked wrecked as well. But the roof skin was actually after peeling a Mackin's car as well. Did you see that? Yeah. Um, there's there's a, a, a gap between the, t- the 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 top of the body and and, and where the roof was was supposed to sit into. And he was very lucky as well, wasn't he? Super. Yeah, he, he blew he blew a turbo. Uh, yeah, actually, it's a good point. He a couple of very close ones. He blew, the turbo went under one section back to Nairobi, I think, on Saturday night. And was it Lassie Lampy spotted a brake pipe loose or leaking or something? Yeah. Before before the start of a stage, yeah, any of those things could have could have could have uh, turned the rally in his head, but he he was just really really lucky um, that he that nothing stopped him, he, and especially as I said with the pace he was going, the car was was obviously very strong. But he had better luck than Delacour on day two, anyway, didn't he? 
What happened to Delacour in day two? Poor old Delacour could, couldn't have had any more problems to that card. And like, I can't remember what stage it was on stage two, but he came in. First, he lost his windscreen washer. Then he lost, did he, did he lose power steering or what else? There was basically a list of problems on the car where everything yeah. just one by one ticked off. But he was still, he was, he was still going there. And for a guy who's... Just a shit, man. Delacour was one of those drivers who, who could surprise you. you. You just, you know, he has a reputation for being this crazy guy and, you know, super quick in tarmac and kind of not up to much everywhere else. But he was always mental fast in New Zealand um, and, and some other rallies like that. And then you had him on his first safari and he was still plugging around and keeping himself pretty much out of trouble. There was car issues there and, like, Ford again, the, the, the reliability wasn't quite there. Signs blow his engine. Again, he reckoned just dropped a piston the same way as it did on in, in the last day in the Acropolis, and his rally was over again. Um, you know, just the 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 Ford just wasn't as reliable as as the reputation it had um, got for some reason during this year. And it cost them, it cost arguably cost signs and McRae championships when Absolutely, you think about yeah. it. You know, yeah. just two two rallies in a row there. Signs, signs. You you know the way signs is. Sides could have won this rally, Do you know, if he if he'd kept plugging away or at least got a decent podium, same in the Acropolis. And but he, he was out. He was out the first stage on day two, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah the long first stage, stage the one hundred twenty-four yeah. kilometer stage. Yeah, but um, that was kind of day two. Do you have any other notes from from that day, Bardos? George Donaldson. He reminded me of something like a war general. I thought it was like you know Montgomery in the Battle of El Alamein. You know the way he was enjoying it so much. This was his thirteenth. Campaign sixteen, sixteen. <laughs> or 16, Safari, I think. Was 16, sorry, yeah, he was he was there he was there ridiculous one times because apparently he was with Toyota um back in the early eighties prior to his bit of a stint driving himself. Um but uh, he really he really loves it though. Yeah he really I, seemed to love it. Wouldn't it be great to sit down and have a chat with him just about every single thing he's seen and done? I we were in Sweden a couple of years ago and um there was a press tent and myself and uh a fella from Kerry who can't be named for legal reasons and the the two of us we wandered in because uh the door was open and we walked in and we helped ourselves to lunch and we sat down pretended we should be there you know who's there to question us and i look across from me and who's sitting right across from me george donaldson i knew it was george donaldson and george donaldson knew that i shouldn't have been there but he didn't say anything i said nothing <laughs> <laughs> we just let her lunch and then we promptly left after that but uh yeah he seems to be from what uh, from the feedback that he's been given recently on the rules that we've been um discussing here ourselves at the other podcasts have been doing it and I know George Johnson has been uh, contributing to them. He seems to be quite of the, the purest nature of how rallying should be more open to the competitor. If you have the tools to go and do it, you should yeah. be able to go and do it. And it's, it's, that's right. it's, a, it's a refreshing thing to hear as well. You know, interesting to hear that from a guy as well who was heavily involved with you know the leading teams back in the day at the forefront of the sport, you know, Toyota, Mitsubishi and Subaru and stuff. It's um, great to hear. Yeah, it, it is, yeah, yeah, yeah. So no fair play to him. But um, yeah, so and to day three, um, the stages were repeat from from day one, but there was kind of an extra element again, and again, unique to the safari where the cloud cover was was down uh, to the point where it was actually stopping the choppers taking off, um, which was a, a, a obviously a big issue for the cars, 
Um, it was, I think, Mackin and Strafford got going, all right. And Mac then the safety Strafford. Even on that, Mars, it became a fair bit bone of contention, obviously, with the lads. And I know Schwartz is very vocal about it, but it was a bit strange in that. I, I just know, I, I found this a bit strange when I was watching back over it again. We had Mackinnon going out as the leader with his chopper going up fine in the morning, no issue. Then you had Robin Pera, all of a sudden his couldn't be got, and then they, they sent in the safety helicopter for him, but they had no radio mm. contact. And then that? That, that was it. So Robin Pera came to the start line, his chopper wasn't there. Mackinnon was in the stage with his chopper. No one else's chopper was taken off the ground. It just, I don't know, there's, there's, a, there's something that just, maybe, maybe it's just tinfoil hat spec, but it's a bit suspicious that, or why was it that Mackin was the only chopper that got out? Yeah. Look, you just don't know the, the weather conditions could have changed quite rapidly there and the cloud could have come down even more. Yeah. From, but even, from, like I said, they, they were gonna, their plan was then to send, because I know this is what Schwartz was giving out of it. And I, I agree with Schwartz 100%. Yeah. And all the drivers, they agreed that they were told at the start of the event that, a stage wouldn't run if there was no uh, spotter helicopter for his car. That was fine. They yeah. all agreed that. But then the organisers came back and said, it was pretty much last minute, like the cars were parked up waiting to go into stages and they said, no, choppers can't fly. We have the safety helicopter. All the crews can use the safety helicopter, but you have no communication with it. Because yeah. Schwartz, Schwartz nearly ran into car head on. He did, like yeah. Over it, yeah. So you can, like, mm. uh, you'd have, obviously totally take the, take the, the side of the guys that are putting their their, their lives in the line in these cars like you know you whatever but any closed road event um and it's very you know did did show on that you you totally needed the chopper to 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 get her on safely so i 100 uh, side with them and and, and and their concerns over this as you said the schwartz was quite unhappy about it you can't blame it kind of remind you of the how was the f1 event years ago when with the rain when they're all having the meeting that was it was it was it was it was it was was it 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 because mm. um, the previous race, I think, was the the incident with Senna. This is okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I think it was eighty nine because I I remember taping on RT when I was really about ten or eleven, uh, an Alan Prost documentary in French with with subtitles. So it wasn't dubbed, but. Um, that's a completely different tangent altogether. That we're yeah, gone. I know, da- it's da- daily and enjoy that. Yeah, daily, daily, daily tangent. Yeah. yeah. Um. But anyway, uh, all, it's all all relevant points to, to this. Like it's the same same kind of thing. Um. Safety has to come first, even though these guys have a higher kind of safety factor than. Their tre- their threshold of fear is a bit <laughs> different to the average person. Exactly. That's 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 still, like, yeah. For for anyone, even for us doing events. It takes a lot before a driver will go, I don't want to compete. Well, it's funny you mention it because I was looking at um, a friend of ours, mutual friend of all of us there, James Lowry. He uploaded uh, Donegal uh, Rally 2004 
And at the start of Nakada, all the drivers had to give a vote as to whether they would go up into the stage. Now, if, for those of you who are not familiar with Nakada, Nakada is probably one of the most spectacular stages in Irish rallying. It's one of the best tarmac stages you can imagine doing. But obviously, with that uh, spectacle and uh, magnificence comes a high level of danger because to the left of you, as you come across the summit at the top of the hill, you have a fresh air drop cliffside down to the Atlantic below. There's nothing else. If you were off, you're gone. And basically, everyone was sitting at the stage start on slicks and they had to take a driver's vote as to whether they'd go up there into it. And you, one of the iconic things that we were, we've been lucky enough in Ireland to have uh, with TV coverage uh, from our youth, um, we were spoiled as in our youth with TV coverage was RPM, uh, an, R, an RT UTV co-production. And there's an iconic piece where a uh, famous Irish rally driver, Andrew Nisbet, was there with a Stanley knife. Oh, yeah. put, putting small slits in his slit in his slick tires to get the rubber moving. So yeah, like there, it's a strong roll of the dice that you're talking about for any drivers to be putting themselves into that when you're fighting over tens of seconds, but let alone at this level, you know manufacturer teams you know yeah yeah no i agree with that and um, but um big tangent there no no but it's all relevant it's all relevant and um, delacour had issues with his prop shaft again fragility of the focus Um, obviously everything was taking a beating at this point but still and it was extra flailing around so badly that it was taking chunks out of the tunnel uh with the tunnel the shape so they had to do a bit of cutting and shutting back in service to, to get him going again Stage 11 was cancelled in because of the the back end with the choppers earlier on that extra run out of time. I think back in, was it on this day or was it day two? He'd actually had issues with the prop shaft as well. No, sorry, it was day two. He had hit a bump and, and, and broke the prop as well. But again, Jesus, there were so many things here that he, he was lucky to get away with that, you know, other drivers weren't lucky with, with their own cars or whatever. So, um, you had, on, just in the morning, Stage 10, you had a very unlucky Solberg, and it was a shame because had he finished, he would have been my driver of the rally. Yeah, um, last the wheel, didn't he? Yeah, and just, just obviously, just with the, the rate of attrition with the stages themselves, just coming along again, you can see the shot of the wheel flying off ahead of the car, and then yeah. again, the funny famous shot of Solberg being as animated as he always is. Yeah, I think Burns had, Burns had been gone from there when he was doing a spotter helicopter, and he was obviously landed beside him. Yeah, and I was consoling Solberg. He's there at the camera, and he's like, "And I didn't hit anything." Yeah, yeah, he was sick. He was obviously <laughs> conscious that people were kind of saying that he was he, he was crashing too much at the time. But yeah, that, that but was, again, just showing his, his fun, his cool character. Like. Yeah. there was just a, a nice thing as well um, that came out of a bit of misfortune for both drivers. Uh, Robin Pear had a puncher. Still kept, <laughs> oh, yeah. his, still kept his place, but a, a Delacour was was kind of held up and he's dust a bit. And just as kind of a, a, a nod to what had happened <laughs> here with the Panizzi brothers, Delacour went up and just kind of just, he was only joking, went up with the fist up to Robin Pear, but the two of them were just laughing about it, which kind of shows the kind of character Delacour was. He was up for a bit of a laugh as well, as, as highly strong and all as, as he could be. He, he didn't mind that. Um, for anyone that's unfamiliar with it, um, the Panizzi brothers in 2000 uh, were held up by a privateer in a group in car. Uh, group in Subaru and got so enraged at the stage finish that they actually went in and basically assaulted the two boys. I think the jail got fined 50, 50 grand or something. For fined, yeah. yeah. But again, I think, I think starting that incident and calling them the Panizzi brothers again, it makes it <laughs> extra dodgy. 
It's so, yeah, they do. They do. Your brothers got out, and the two lads in the car ahead of him were never seen again. Yeah, they do. So it does sound uh, it's like two voices of the Sopranos or something. Sounds a bit the departed, doesn't it? Exactly. Yeah. But uh, Skoda had ran out of shocks at this point as well. Um, <laughs> they'd obviously, you know, had taken a fair battering. Um, again, um, like the cars were still going really well, and Schwartz was teamed up in the podium, which was great for them. Um, their first, I think, it's their only podium finish the world level, is it? Um, at that, yeah. apart from um, apart from Stig Blomqvist, but that was only a two league. That, that was only yeah, a that two round. Full, that wasn't yeah. the full round. At that point, um, yeah. So, like, it was you know, it was great to see, but Thierry had um, a really, really bad final day. The power steering went in the car, and he was basically in ribbons. He, he could barely walk. He'd be basically lifted over the car. I'm pretty sure Stephen Prevo had to drive bits of the road section and stuff. He was that bad, but he, um, he it was not just, it was cool to see the teams coming together. You'd see uh, physios from the other teams coming over to help out and stuff, which is just a nice, you know, yeah. as, as competitive and all as they were. I think everyone wanted Skoda to... To, to do well and finish the rally in a good position or whatever. Did you see Malcolm Wilson even go? Like I know I've I've read several interviews with Malcolm, Malcolm Wilson where he had a lot of time for Bruno Thierry, as in like mm. you know uh, he gave him the shot at Ford back in '98 when it looked like his work's time was done as well. You know, yeah. you could see Wilson really wanted him to finish the rally too. You know, like yeah. it's like you say, it was nice to see that kind of camaraderie within the service park. You know, on an event like that. Yeah, you, know, you, you see so many instances of that over the years with different scenarios and different drivers and different team management. But funny enough, there's always a commonality. Malcolm Wilson always seems to be the guy who connects most with drivers. Yeah. No, it was, it was, it was good to see. And unfortunately, like he was, he was in for a decent finish and scored with two cars in the points. But he... Um, he I'd say he, he was fairly wiped. I don't think he was concentrating all that much, but... In the last stage, then uh, Prevo called uh, a massive hole, you know, careful or attention twice. And Bruno, I'd say, he just wasn't paying attention. And he went into it at, at I'd say, fourth or fifth gear. And basically hit, it, it was like a very, very steep dip. It's when you crawl through, you wouldn't, you wouldn't go through it at any sort of speed. But the car launched anyway, and Downing just kind of nosed into the, the rise of the other side of the dip, we'll say. And Stephen Prevost's back was was fairly injured there straight away, so they had to stop and pull over. Um, just a, just look, it was a pity you would have loved to have seen him to to get points after after all that. But just an interesting thing I've only seen during the week. Someone shared it in the Gravel Crew Facebook group as well. Stephen Prevost was actually a really accomplished photographer before he went into um, the the core driving side of things. So it's worth giving a look at his page on Facebook. I think nice to go on it. His own Facebook page. Uh, yeah, just look it up. It's like a, a Stefan Prevo photos. It's a page. Stefan Prevo photos. Yes, it's, it's it, men. They're they're professional quality, pretty much. They're 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 really really good and really high quality stuff from from the days of Group B, Belgian rallies, and he went to a good few world rallies as well. So just um, so he's not he, he's not one of these guys who pop up online who's bought an SLR and think they're a photographer. Like me, is it? Yeah. <laughs> that's sorry, I'm yeah. Actually, can we, can we before we go any further, we had some battle trying to get the coverage this week. Oh my god! Um, I had to pay actual money. But do you yeah, know the worst you, thing is you, you I, hate I doing being, that. I thought I was being uber generous, giving you my login details. I'm sorry, I didn't know. Yeah. 
Yeah. You get me them after I paid. That was the big that's taking me. Yeah. But what's Tommy? Tommy'd hate to part with with any a extra that he needs to for anything. So yeah. You're right for drink though. Yeah. Runs runs out the fucking building. But uh, oh my god, the, 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 what a, look at the WRC for uh, an international top level championship sport. Um, please sort out your website. I nearly cried today trying to trying to get the coverage going. We'll have, Mars, only for that. you, only for you, give me the exact link into the archives. There's no way because I was searching and searching and searching, following normal human logic. Yeah, and it just they whatever they've done to the website, even just the whole layout of it, it's. It's shite. I, I was actually getting angry texting you, trying to trying to get you to find a place. I, I was getting warm myself. I nearly threw in the towel and, and, and for the record tonight. I just couldn't couldn't be dealing with it. But anyway, it makes it makes my website look professional and uh, and well designed, which is saying an awful lot. So um, please, please, if someone's listening, please, please sort that out. Um, but anyway, so that was the that was the event, uh, uh, crazy event. Loads and loads of stuff happened. The last point of the event, and one thing I like about it was um, Yuri Kotek or Kotek Skorobas seeing his emotion at the end with Schwartz um, finishing the podium. Yeah, yeah. I think it, it was really nice to see well, it at the end. Just shows the effort that goes in that was going into Skoda at the time. Well, considering the low they hit in, um, was it for the Argentina was it? Or was it was uh, I'm trying to remember now. Was, was it Argentina? Argentina with the crash with the virtual. Was Argentina? It was because they didn't get out. They didn't oh, even yeah, get into day one in Portugal. Yeah, yeah. But like when you consider the low they hit there, you know, like that's you know a huge morale boost for a team that kind of you know they weren't going doing the full championship. They're the most unfancied team in there to go and do that. Like you know, it was a great endorsement of their product. You know, do you know what it is? Yeah. That there's there's something there's almost a, a, there's almost a nice match between the Safari and the Octavia, a big heavy reliable tank. Well, sorry, no, I use the word reliable loosely, but a big solid tank getting through a big long rough event where speed isn't the factor. It just it, it almost fits that the the Octavia finishing the podium. I'm pretty sure well, they still they still have their car on display actually. Um, they 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 kept that that that, that uh, podium finishing car as kind of a memento for for their um for their exploits. So obviously a huge deal for them as you said. It's the greatest, you know, and the camaraderie cool. around you. So all the other the team bosses congratulating him and stuff. It's just nice to see, like you know, that, mm. that, that there was that level of 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 kind of passion for him as well. You know, you, you always love to see him doing well. It's probably a factor in why we love the car so much as well. Um, you know, that just the, the plucky underdog is was. Yeah, I'm just looking at something here as well. Um, I was looking at the times between uh, day two and day three, and it's kind of. With all the works cars, you know, with works backup that were there, in sixth overall, Gabriel Pozzo finished, sorry, Freddie Likes ended up fifth after all his troubles, but Gabriel Pozzo finished sixth, two hours and six minutes and 46 seconds behind the leader, right? But Marcus, but, but Marcus Legato in another Evo 6 was only a minute and 24 seconds behind him. The gap between them after day two was only a minute and 42 seconds. Like, Jesus I, I, I find that amazing that, okay, the works cars have been self-destructing right, left and centre. The two men battling out Group M, there wasn't a lot between them 
after yeah. after what was it? What was the distance we had we had down here? Eleven hundred twenty nine competitive kilometers. There was a minute and twenty four seconds between. Like, I, I'd say that that's probably if, if you did it, if you kind of that's fair going. Like that's a tight race. If you mm. factor that and scale that down to a current length event, it probably would be the closest finished per mile per kilometer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know it's just tough old, you know, a good achievement and a good, I suppose, endorsement of the product that they were able to get around an event like that. Any car, to yeah, finish this which, rally was, was, was a huge deal, like, let alone to, to get any sort of results. So. Well, I, I think just on that point, Tommy, with the lads finishing the group end and Mars saying about finishing the event overall, I found it very hard to think about a driver of the rally. But mm. I still think I'm going to stick with higher up in there because that Fusion 206 had no business finishing that event. Yeah, it was, yeah. I, I was going to say the same. I think Robin Power drove yeah. an outstanding rally. Um, Mackinnon was, I think Mackinnon was lucky to win this rally. Um, he, there was a few things there, as we said, that could have put him out that he, that he got away with. Um, if Robin Pera had won this rally, it would have been some upset. And it actually, it's funny looking at the championship points. It sort to put him in with a, an outside chance um, of, uh, of of a shot at the title. Even you know, mm. even considering the limited amount of runs he was doing, he was getting some great results on the ones he was finishing. So, and I'd say if you were in his head, you could imagine the confidence building at that point in the season yeah. where you forward having a shocker. The rest of his future teammates having a shock and him looking at going, Jesus, like, yeah, and, and facing into like, and facing into like Finland in like you know the home exactly, rally, like, yeah. but it yeah. would have been the reason, like not not just for the car surviving, but for the the point in his career, obviously with the season kicking off, been the pressure of being nominated for the points, like we said at the start, and delivering on the, on those points. Yeah, with the car, with that car and that event, so it was a savage driver up there. I'd, I'd say he was selling someone to lawnmowers and jet skis when he went home. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'd say he'd say he talk, he'd say he'd say lies to an Eskimo by the time by the time he got home, he he was just bringing him confidence. So I, I think the, I think the award for sheer persistence goes to Freddie Likes. Hundred percent. Yeah. yeah, but you know, like like <laughs> to to because I think the Punchestown Rally Masters was the week after this event, and. He was there. He was in great form after. I mean, the, to have actually finished it, considering the engine was practically out of the car at one stage. Like yeah. anything, anything bad that happened to Mackinnon, it happened to likes during a stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. He was, he was, he was uh, lucky to get around, but still, good result, as you said. I did. Jeez, yeah, I forgot about that punch ton rally masters. That was pretty cool. That week after the spurry. It was, yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. We that could be something we should have a look at. Yeah, definitely. Because yeah. because this it falls into this year and it's the first real exposure a lot of people in Ireland got to the World Rally Championship first yeah. hand. Mickey Biasian was there, wasn't he? That year, the punter. Mickey Biasian, uh, Richard Burns, and Freddie Likes. I actually have the program here beside me. I was um, one of the best days I ever spent as a teenager. Unreal. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, it's as, as I said, ties into this year nicely as well. So we, we, we look at that in the future. But anyway, yeah. So that was the that was as a very crazy, crazy event. Um, real classic, at all the the elements that you'd expect to see when it's a ferry. Um, turned it it, it kind of turned the championship kind of on its head again. Um, Mackinnon was the only top contender to score points. Um, and he pulled a ten point lead on everyone. 
going into Finland next round in Finland, which uh, we're really looking forward to, one of the, yeah. the, the classic events. So we'll be covering that next week. Um, then we had signs, unfortunately, got no points, uh, but still in third, 26 points. Um, Love and Power then up to fourth with, with the strong showing again, and Burns is. Uh, in fifth, and Delacour in sixth. So, Delacour was actually having a great season. Bernstein, he was pulling points in there. He was he he was really consistent. So, um, fair play to him. Uh, Mitsubishi then took uh, the lead in the manufacturer standings with Mackinnon and Swinnon likes his points, and then Newt Ford um, in second. Subaru, uh, Peugeot, Skoda. Then we're pulling the, a bit of a gap on Hyundai following the, the strong result here. But um, yeah, as we said, just um, really really cool event. Um, one of the last. You know, I think the 2002 was the last safari, as as as, as we we probably call it, um, the old style event. Obviously, lost its world championship status in the year after, and the the it's only recently they're, they're talking about going back again. But um, no, I used to, I used to always look forward to watching the safari. It was just so unpredictable and so alien compared to everything else that was going on. You didn't really care that the cars weren't pushing as hard as usual. It was it was a totally different type of event and totally different challenge and it was always interesting to see what what drivers were able to adapt to and what cars were able to, to cope with the conditions. So no, Do you think just, it do you think though kind of the fact where the World Rally Championship at in this era was going, it kind of the World Rally Championship outgrew the Safari in terms of the technology that was at play in the cars and the, the pace of things it was kind of at odds with what the Safari required. Yeah, you know, because, because because of what teams were putting into cars, you know, expend in terms of expenditure. I'd that, say, Tommy, it was probably less about the actual cars in terms of, in terms of technical capability, and more in the marketing aspect of the championship in terms of packaging it up mm-hmm. to make it more accessible for, we we'll call it more European based yeah. uh, fans and spectators. Broadcasters. Yeah. This, this yeah. was the time when they were really changing the way the WRC has been distributed. Yeah. There was thought they were right, there was definitely a drive to kind of homogenize it a bit more and it's just a pity that the safari well, that wasn't the only reason I'm sure there was there was probably other I would look must be looking into um into it, but there was definitely other um aspects of play in, in, in it losing the world championship status, but it's a it's a huge pity. Um mm. it's 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 one of the key kind of um standout events from, from this era. Um, in every year there was always just major excitement always something crazy happened and I'd say a lot of the drivers relished the challenge as well it mightn't have been a necessarily enjoyable event to, to be in when you were doing it um, or preparing for it or whatever but I'd say the sense of satisfaction when you got to the end and if you got a result I'd say it must have just been phenomenal um, you know, the, adve- the adventure of it I think more yeah. so than if, if you look at the Royal College drivers who won it as well um, you know it, it, it's the best of the best Again, it, it really, it, it was it, sheer speed. Didn't didn't uh, wasn't it wasn't uh, the winning factor here. You had to be intelligent about things as well, and it always drew up a few surprises in that element as well to see who was able to cope with it. But so yeah, that's um, that's us for this week. Um, another pretty long episode again. I think we're, we're probably going over two hours there, are we? Uh, just just shy of it. Are we? I think yeah. I think we might be just shy of it. Looking forward to going to Yavascula, guys. Have you got yeah. the? Uh, Yanni has a few slabs of Cariala for us. 
Lovely. That's literally just going to ask about that. And just remember, lads, if we get soft for speeding, we're all unemployed because the speeding lines are based on the <laughs> Yeah. Yanni Passanen has a beach house or a lake house that we're all kipping at anyway, so it's fine. Have we? Good. Yeah. Hands that. in the woods at 9 a.m. Let's go. Yes. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so again, thanks to everyone for, for making it this far. Um, I hope you're, you're still still enjoying it. Um, keep liking and subscribing and sharing and all that stuff. Uh, tell your friends and um, if there's anything you want us to, to talk about or bring up or questions you want to ask, just show it. We'd, we'd be more than happy to, to raise them on the, on the podcast and try and in, in our own roundabout we find a find some bit of an answer that might be half right and then run off in a tangent for half an hour afterwards. But and look, um, Marcel said there, don't just tell your friends, tell your enemies as well, and they'll all listen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tell your friends, put your, tell your enemies. Yeah, put stop people randomly in the street and say, listen yeah. to, listen yeah, to do, these lads. Yeah, do you want some ear torture? Here, <laughs> listen to this. Yeah. Do you want your three lads with Irish accents that are barely uh, yeah. audible? Talk yeah. about twenty-year-old rally. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a niche. It's a, it's a pretty, I pretty know niche, I do. Yeah. Pretty niche subject, but sure, look, we're enjoying it. So, anyway, yep, that's it. That's it. So, for myself, Morris, and from William and Tommy, thanks very much, and we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, guys. Stay, Stay safe. Man. Take care.